The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Welcome, number one, number two, that was a beautiful film, and it's representative of the wonderful people you are. Gosh, you know, um... Tyler and his wife Lily, his children uh, Caden, Cayenne, and, and Liam are uh, not only missionaries, but uh, Tyler is a minister of the gospel, has been for many years. He does tent making full time so he can come here and serve as a deacon. Uh, just one of the finest men you'll ever know. He's going to speak this morning. Uh, again, I want to welcome, or for the first time, welcome all of you to the King's Chapel this morning. We are out to change our world. We would be less than honest if we did not tell you that there's a world lost and hurting in need of Jesus Christ, and we have found him to be the answer to every question. Father, I thank you for Tyler. Lord, bless him, bless his family, bless all those that work and labor in missions worldwide and here locally, domestically, from Young Life to Crusade to all these places and ministries that these dear people support with their tithes and offerings. Bless them, I pray, and, and prosper this man in what he does. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Tyler, could you come up? Let, let me tell you what's going on here. Uh, two of Mark's children um, were hospitalized this week with pneumonia. <laughs> now that we're not struggling with COVID, right? We're back in school and getting the more regular nightmarish stuff. So uh, one of them, um, uh, their little one is, is in the hospital now. And Mark's uh, guarding the other ones while Beth is there with Fiona. So that's what's going on. But this guy had just preached recently, had a sermon right in his hip pocket, and he is ready to rock. So thank you so much, Tyler. Oh yeah, dismiss the children, please. All right. Kids, you can find your way over to the doors where all the volunteers are waiting for you. All right, well, they're going out here. I'll get started. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning and share a few words. Um, so the topic this morning is why global missions? I met my wife actually on the mission field in Panama back in 2007. I was a youth pastor at the time and was leading a team down there. And uh, long story short, we met in February and we were married in December. So it's a, it's a bit of a whirlwind story itself. Prior to COVID, we had led five different teams down starting in 2016 and the last team in 2020, which was highlighted in the video that you just saw. So four of those teams were to Panama, and one of those teams was to Guatemala, where we ministered to victims of a, of a volcano eruption. And so as you saw, that video was the last trip that we were able to take because we came back from that trip. It was February of 2020. And it was that next week that everything shut down. So this morning, we just want to use uh, the few moments we have together to talk a little bit about global missions. And when you ask this question, why 
global mission, sometimes the pushback can be, whether it's said or unsaid in your minds, there's plenty of need right outside of my door. I don't need to travel across the world. I don't need to get on a flight. You know, Florida has plenty of needs right now. There's needs all around us here, even in Northern Virginia and certainly beyond our immediate location here throughout the U.S. And so why global missions? There's a lot of approaches that we could take in answering this question. If you could put the next uh, slide up here. So you have a very well-known one, which is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus commands his disciples as he's about to leave the earth after his resurrection, he was about to ascend, he says, men, you know, I've given all of this truth to you, now go into all the world and take the gospel, this message that I've given you, this good news, and share it with everyone, making disciples everywhere you go, teaching them all the things I've commanded you. So that's a very familiar one, and a couple of the gospels have a similar mandate to that. So the Great Commission is one where we're commanded to go everywhere to tell all people. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 is another one that's well-known, actually, where Isaiah, a prophet of God, has this heavenly vision, and he's prostrated before God in worship as he sees this, you know, the heavenly host, cherubim, seraphims, all these angelic beings worshiping God and the holiness of God, and he's overwhelmed in reverence for God, and he hears God say, who will go for us? Who will be our representative, our messenger? And Isaiah in this famous verse says, here am I, Lord, send me. And that's, been, uh, that's sort of been a, a call that many have used to, to you know, call us to, uh, to go and be God's messengers throughout the world. One of my favorites is also a real simple one found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and it's where you have a group of shepherds out taking care of their sheep. And in the time period, they were kind of the lowest of low in terms of class, right? Their jobs were kind of made them unfit for the synagogue in many cases to go in and worship. And, and so all of a sudden, they're out there in the middle of the night. And this, the sky fills with angels. And all of a sudden, there's this proclamation where they are told that there is now good news for all people, that it's no longer a select few, not that that was ever the intention or heart of God, but sometimes that was the understanding the people had, and it was now good news for all people, and they were announcing the coming of Jesus. And so each of these could be a message of their own. Since the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, the Old Testament is filled with example after example of messengers called by God to represent him in a dark and broken world. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, right, of the nation of Israel. They each had a calling from God and uh, in various ways displayed God's grandeur and glory as they led their families. Moses, Joshua, King David, all of these were messengers of God. They, there's stories throughout Scripture of their amazing triumphs and also their dismal failures. And so their stories are memorialized in Scripture. Many of us are familiar with them. But all of them, as you read their stories, all of them fell far short of showing the true nature of God's grace, mercy, and holiness. And so God shows us a better way. And so one of our opening texts this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And it'll be on the screen. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the words of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Would you just pray with me a final time? Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person here, and as we just look at this topic, at this question, why global missions, and, and we, we draw our inspiration and our, our challenge, our calling from you, Jesus, ultimately, just pray that these few words would encourage our hearts, challenge our hearts, God, and that you, more than anything, would speak to us, Lord. We, we just ask you to have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. So ultimately, everything in the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus. So basically, that's what this passage says. He's like, all of these prophets came before, these messengers came before, but ultimately, it was all pointing towards Jesus. So as we answer the question, why global missions, I want to use this morning the example of Jesus as our inspiration and, and challenge. And so we're going to just look at one more text here. It's probably familiar to many of you, but found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So the first challenge that we see here in following the example of Jesus is that Jesus showed up in the flesh. We see this in the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. It's throughout the Christmas story that we read, and it's coming up in December, right? We always have a service here to celebrate the, the, the coming of Jesus, the time of Christmas. And so here's the thought. God didn't send in our modern vernacular, he didn't send just a message. He didn't send only, you know, an email. He didn't just write the message in the sky. He had sent a lot of messengers, but as we saw in Hebrews, that was all pointing towards the ultimate coming of Jesus. He showed up in the flesh. He came to show what God was like. John chapter 1 dives into that in depth. It says the word was made flesh. He was dwelt among us. And he ultimately came to display the nature of God, the truth of who God is, to show us what God was like. There was a lot of imperfect messengers and fragmented messages found throughout the Old Testament. And there was a lot of confusion about what God was like. Is he just a God of wrath waiting with his foot over top of us like we're ants to crush us? Is that all God is. And so ultimately, we see throughout the Gospels a display of God's nature and who he is and the kind of love and mercy that he has for us. And so in that same way, we are called. We are called as God's people to be God's hands and feet, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In 2019, we took a team to Guatemala. And as I mentioned earlier, it was to to um, help out with some victims of a devastating volcano that had wiped out a village. And so when we got down there, we had planned to build a couple of houses, which is what we normally do uh, for some of the families. 
But there was some land complications, permitting complications, and long story short, we couldn't proceed. And so we were, as leadership, trying to scramble. I think we had around 30 people down there. Okay, what are we going to do for this whole week? And so we just decided, you know what, we're going to go into this refugee camp where all these people were living in these small box huts, essentially. It was very hot at the time. And we were going to do what we could to bring comfort and support. So the first night we arrive, we take a van or a couple of vans, rather, into this refugee camp. We arrive, I get out of the van, and uh, there was a translator with me. I'm not fluent in Spanish, and I was greeted by the pastor there, and he had asked me at the last minute to, to give a message that night. And as we're walking up there, he's telling me through the translator his story. That man had just recently, only months before, lost all of his family members except for one son. Multiple children, grandchildren, his wife, all of them died. We go into the church, and I'm just overwhelmed, right? This is one man's story, and I find out that's the norm. There's about 50, 60 people gathered. They had lost more loved ones than they had left, right? And so we're in this place, and we're going to minister to these people for a week, us sheltered Americans, and yes, we go through our share of struggles and experience loss, absolutely. But in that moment, I was overwhelmed because I hadn't experienced anything to this degree of loss. And I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to share? And God did give me a word for those people that night, a very meaningful word, and God came in, in a very powerful way and ministered. And we shared with them from the book of Exodus where God says to Moses, I, see the, I hear the cries of my people. I see their pain. You know, God hears, God sees. God has not left you alone. And that was the message shared. But throughout that week, what we realized was so meaningful, so powerful for the people was not the words simply that we shared, right? It wasn't the things we did. We did do some projects. We built some wardrobes. But it was the fact we were there in the flesh. And it was actually more meaningful than you would have ever realized. And that was what kept being said to us in testimonies and as they share with us. And we would just cry with the people, arms around them, praying over them, doing what we can, playing with the kids, bringing love and support. And they simply said, it's amazing to know that thousands of miles away, there's other believers that care. Enough to spend thousands of dollars to come down here to be with us in our time of grief and loss. And it, it just illustrates the importance of showing up for people. And so God's call locally, yes, show up for people in your life, but also globally, there is a time and a place for us to go and show up and be there in person. Secondly, Jesus held nothing back. Ultimately, we see the ultimate display of this through the crucifixion. As his arms are spread open, God's wrath against sin poured out on him, him taking all of that on himself and ultimately laying everything down for us. And we're familiar, most of us here this morning, with the gospel and the essence of that and, and, and what Jesus did for us. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us now to lay down our lives as living sacrifices. And for 2,000 years, the best parts of our Christian story, of our heritage, involves people laying down their lives. And I'm well aware that there's hypocrisy, and there's sin, and there's problems, and there's churches that have failed all throughout the 2,000 years of history, yes. But the best parts of our stories involve where there was plagues, right, that would wipe out whole regions of the, of the world, known world at the time in the early couple of hundred years of the church, and where even their own Roman rulers were astounded at the fact 
that there would be this radical display of sacrificial love by the early Christians, where they would rush in when everyone else rushed out. At one point, he, one, one official writes a letter to another official, and he's complaining about these Christians and the influence they're having and the numbers that are growing. But he says, what do we do? They not only care for their sick, their infirm, their babies, their children, they care for all of ours also. They take in our orphans. They take in our sick. And that was the testimony of the early church and it was a powerful one. But throughout history, we have other examples of that, whether it would be Amy Carmichael or Mother Teresa or any missionary or figure that you've studied perhaps or read about throughout history. We see many people called to lay their lives down, to follow in the example of Jesus. Jesus did it ultimately, right? But now we are called, Jesus says, to take up our crosses as well. Thirdly, we see in the example of Jesus, Jesus conquering death. We are called to live in such a death-defying way that people can't help but ask how. Peter actually talks about that, that they're, that they're just puzzled, that they, that they can't help but ask, what is this hope that you have? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul actually goes so far as to say that if the resurrection is not real, this raising from the dead that Jesus did, Everything we do and say as Christians is essentially a waste. It's a joke. He said, we're of all men most foolish, most miserable, if that's true. But he went on to say, this is true. And, and there's hundreds of witnesses, eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and the testimony of the church. And he goes on to, to share the powerful nature of the resurrection. And Jesus continues to bring everything to life, and we're now invited into this resurrection way of life. But this, at least, we have to stop for a moment and ask the question, doesn't death still sting? Many of us in this room have lost loved ones, even throughout COVID or since, right? There's been funerals even in this very room in the last year. Doesn't death still sting? Doesn't it still hurt? And the answer is, is yes, our family lost someone that we love dearly, a friend. She was a, a mother of two children, a teenager and a young boy, and had an incredible testimony of God's grace. Just an amazing woman, amazing family back in Baltimore where we lived and ministered for many years. And, and um, it was only just a, a few months ago that she lost in the battle to cancer and passed. And we're at the funeral, packed out with hundreds of people that had known this woman and loved her dearly, and lots and lots of tears and weeping and wailing. But in that moment, her teenage daughter stands up through tears and sobs and declares the hope that she has to see her mom again, that she knows the same Savior that her mom knew, and that she had hope even in her darkest moment, that yes, she is deeply grieving that her mom won't be there on her wedding day and all throughout the occasions to come in her life. And her husband also stood in front of those hundreds of people and declared the hope that he has that despite the grieving and the loss. And many of you have experienced loss like this on, on, on multiple levels and it's hard, it's, it's, it's deep and the wounds last and they don't just go away, right? And so we don't want to diminish that. But at the same time, here's the truth, friends, that this morning we weep, but not without hope. And that's the difference, and that's the message that this world needs. 
And whether it's across the street or around the world, whether it's showing up in a refugee camp and declaring the hope and truth and love of Jesus and ultimately that Jesus conquers death, you see, what can you say to people that have lost more family members than they have left to bring hope if you don't have the resurrection ultimately? And so that is our hope. And that is the spirit in which we're called. In Romans 8.11, if you could put that on the screen real quick here. Romans 8.11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have, friends, the powerful, resurrecting Holy Spirit of Jesus inside of us if you are a believer. And if you don't know him yet, that's the invitation. It's not to just start doing the religious thing and showing up here every Sunday and read a few verses in the Bible and feel better about yourself. There's nothing wrong with those things. But this is not just about moral reform, friends. This is about resurrection life that God wants to birth inside of you. Some of us as believers, we've been in churches all of our lives and we know all the truth up here, but it's stopped being real here. And I want to remind us that that's the source, this resurrection life of Jesus that we are called into. So is this mission across the street or across the ocean? Is it around my neighborhood or around the globe? It's not either or. It is both. God calls us to both global vision, vision and everyday mission. One more example would be the triune God, okay? Without going into all of the theological implications of the Trinity, um, our pastors here do a great job on teaching on such topics. We see this, this simply right in the triune God. God the Father sends, Jesus the Son goes, and the Holy Spirit supports. Earlier in that Philippian passage, when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his rights, his, his powerful nature as God, and, and he limited himself, and, and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way we are. And so ultimately, that gives, us, that gives us great hope that he invites us into that same life. And so sending, going, supporting, here's the questions, right? Who are you called to send? Where are you called to go? And how are you called to to support. There's different seasons in life, but when it comes from a giving heart, it honors God. So there's just two, two verses that I want to use to encourage us here, okay? Um, Deuteronomy 16, 17 says, every man shall give as he is able. So every person as they are able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Notice it says, as you're able, it's supposed to be what you have in your hand. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. One more uh, passage here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the next verse there, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So, Here's the call and the challenge this morning, friends. This is not to lay some burden on you of legalism. You need to give more, do more, be more, all of this. Here's the invitation. Some of us are missing out on the fullness of God that we see in the New Testament in particular, right? Found in the book of Acts and talked about throughout the epistles. 
So some of us are missing out on this fullness because we're living lives like this. We're clenching, we're holding, we're limiting, right? And so the invitation is this. It's not that everyone has to write a $10,000 check and make these huge sacrifices. That, that's, that's not the point. Maybe someone in this room is called to do that. But the point is this. God invites, God calls us to open up our hands and give what we have. Give what's in your hands. The little boy, if you remember the story with Jesus out in the fields teaching thousands of people, what happens? They don't have food to eat. They've been out there for a long period of time. They're hungry. It's a great distance to the nearest city. There's no McDonald's. There's no Starbucks. There's no gas station, convenience store. They're out in the middle of nowhere. A little boy shares his lunch. He gives what's in his hands, and Jesus does the rest, right? So the invitation to us this morning is open up your hands. And here's the truth. You know, when your hands are clenched, not only do you not give, but you also don't receive. And some of us are limiting God and blessing us. This is not a prosperity message that if you just give, God will pour it out and you'll be a millionaire. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is that in whatever way, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and yes, physically and provisionally, yes, all of that's true, that God does meet our needs. But some of us are missing out on what God has because we're simply clenching our hands and not giving what we have. And so I want to invite you, give what you have this morning. Live your life with open hands. I want to spend a moment talking about the power of one. So there's this story actually found in John chapter 5 where there's this pool of Bethesda and there's gathered around, it says, a great multitude. So it could be dozens or hundreds of people. And they have all sorts of ailments, many of them crippled, paralyzed, blind, all sorts of things. Jesus walks through, it seems, the crowd of people he walks up to one man. He had been there for 38 years. And apparently around this pool, so it says, that's what the passage says, that at various times the water would be stirred up and the first person in the water would be healed. And so all these people are gathered around in hope that they could be the one that gets healed. But Jesus walks through all these people, and there's this amazing story where he heals this one man who's crippled, and, and, and he raises this man up. But the thing that troubled me in reading it a few years ago was like, but there's dozens and maybe hundreds of people. Why does he heal one? In a word, he could have healed everyone there, right? And so the question is like, okay, but what, why, Jesus? Why don't you just heal everybody? Like, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem, why do you heal one person? Yeah, he's waiting there maybe the longest. 38 years is a long time. So long as I've been on this earth, right? So a long time. But why one? Why one? And, and I felt like God spoke to me one day and, and, and gave me um, a word on this. And it was simply this, it's because you can't walk out and heal or be there for the multitudes, but you can show up for one. And so Jesus modeled, limited himself, because yes, he could have healed everyone in one moment, but again and again, whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's Zacchaeus calling him down from the tree and going to his house, whether it's the disciples for the most part called one by one, he shows up for this one person. And this one person, and this one person. And yes, he taught the multitudes, and yes, there was lines at the door sometimes to be healed. But again and again, we see throughout the story of Jesus, he shows up for the one. And so a message like this, when we talk about global need, and we could go in a million directions, the challenge can be, how do I apply this? Well, the, the challenge is this. Who is your one? Who is your one? Locally and globally. 
Let's not make it complicated because sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, there's so much need. I don't even know where to begin. And that's true. But who's your one? And only God knows, right? I I don't want to answer that for you this morning. But who is your one? No one illustrates the power of one better than Rich and Deb Tracy. So if you could just put their picture on the screen here. They were called to go to Panama in 1992. They founded the YWAM base. Um, My wife, Lily, actually joined them five years after it was founded. And in an early prayer meeting with a a group of their, their first group of missionaries there, they felt God spoke to them sort of through this prophetic word, and it, and it basically came down to this. Have you heard the cries? Have you heard the cries of my people, the Nove? Okay? And they didn't even know anything about these people really at this time. They're the largest indigenous group in Central America, hundreds of thousands of them scattered throughout a, a va- vast reservations out in the mountains, most of them some along the coastline there. And... So early on, they first sent like a small team back in, but they saw little fruit. They, they had very little to show for the efforts that they, that they put into it. But there was one young man that got connected through the missionaries going in that came out. His name was Raphael, and he came out and was actually discipled and mentored by the missionaries there. Rich poured a lot of time and, and, and spent a lot of time discipling this young man. And God called this young man to go back to his people and share the gospel and plant churches. So he went back in as a missionary pastor. In 2016, when we took our first missions trip down um, as a team there, when my wife and I were getting things going again, there was about seven churches that had already been planted, and there was already this amazing work of God happening. By 2020, when we took our last team, it had grown to 19 church plants. But then COVID happened. All teams shut down. All outside efforts shut down. Missionaries could no longer go in and support the work happening and and could no longer facilitate bringing people out for mentoring and discipleship. And so there was, and Panama was much stricter actually than the U.S. They actually shut down in a much stricter way. People outside of the reservation at one point could only go out of their houses for one hour a day. That's how rigid it was. And so very little could be done, virtually nothing. So early this year, two years later, right, Early this year in 2022, Rich, you know, who'd been sort of this this figurehead involved with the work from the start and mentoring Raphael, he goes back down to see what has happened during COVID. He'd heard stories, but he hadn't seen it firsthand. So he goes back into the mountains. It's many, many hours. And if you could show that last picture, what he found was astounding. There was over 100 people that were new believers that had been waiting. They wanted to be baptized by, you know, the missionaries, they, with, along with their local pastors. There was over, so there was a gathering of people. It was the first large gathering in the last couple of years. There been over 100 people come to Christ. The number of churches had gone from 19 churches planted to 52 during COVID. There's now 52 gospel-believing, preaching churches throughout the mountains. You have to understand the rural nature of this. Most of these can only be walked to. So amazing, amazing work of God there that has happened. And so why, illust- why use this illustration? It's simply this. Raphael was the one, right? He was the one. There was a lot of efforts prior to that, but God raised up this young man through the discipleship of missionaries, and he was the one. And this is a work of God truly 
Um, and the desire from all of the outsiders like ourselves has been simply to fan the flames and encourage the work that God's doing, not to, not to mess with it, not to take it over. Let God do his work that he has started. He is faithful. He will be faithful to finish it. So we are, we are planning to return. Um, there will be more announcements about that, but the hope is that in June of 2023, we'll be taking a team back down. Our hope is to host a large leaders retreat for these many, many, there's actually a couple hundred leaders now throughout these, these 52 churches. And so we, we hope to host a leadership retreat, do some building projects, and, and be able to support the work there. But as we close, what, what, is the, what is the challenge? What is the takeaway? Some of you in this room, no doubt, will, will hopefully be joining us on our, our next trip. Hopefully from the video and the message this morning, you're encouraged to do that. But here's, here's the challenge. We are called to live on mission locally, but to also have this global vision. So I just want to challenge you to go before God today, this coming week, and ask him, who's my one? You know, some of you are already supporting school children in other countries. You're, you're paying for their education. Some of you are supporting missionaries. This church, if you give here at King's Chapel, supports many missionaries, right? A good portion of, of the funding that comes in goes back out to mission work. But let's not just go through the motions. Let's, let's tangibly be involved. Let's, let's put our hands to it. It may be as simple as you, as a family, writing an email or a card or a letter or sending a care package to a missionary, right? Maybe getting more involved to that child that you support and writing letters and, and sharing the good news of Jesus and loving on them. But no doubt all of us are called we're all called to open up our hands and give what we have. And so I don't want to make the application for you this morning, but I want to invite you into the fullness of all that God has for us and challenge you to respond. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together, Lord. And as we enter a time of communion and just deep thankfulness for all that you've done. God, we want to celebrate, celebrate the work that you've done in Panama and are continuing to do for the many hundreds and hundreds of lives that have come to know you and these churches planted and the small bit that we've had in, in supporting the work there. We thank you for that. Thank you for the many generous people here. God, may you challenge our hearts to re-engage in this topic of global missions and give what we have and, and look for our one. In Jesus' name, amen.